During the past two weeks, international feathers have flown because Israel introduced its controversial nation-state law on July the 19th. Critics are calling it the end of democracy in Jerusalem, a document that officially creates an apartheid state, and a move towards right-wing nationalism, fascism, and many other hyperbolic, dire predictions. This week on The Bible in the News, we thought we'd examine the law and see how it fits in with the course the finger of God has indicated for the Jewish people. Now, the fact Israel has even come into existence is an affront to many people. For thousands of years, the Jewish people were consigned to third-class citizen status in the various nations where they were scattered. They were oppressed, persecuted, driven out from their host nations, and in many places they were not allowed to own land, nor participate in politics, or really allowed into society. They remained largely in separate communities such as the Pale of Settlement in Russia, where they were ghettoized and forced to live apart. When assimilation became possible, it was quickly followed by reactionary pogroms or purges, and the Jews were quickly pushed out of society once again. Now, the plight of the Jewish people over the centuries comes directly out of the Bible. In the law of Moses, God warned Israel of the consequences of rejected him as their God. He said, And the Lord shall scatter thee among the people, from one end of the earth even to the other. And there shalt thou serve other gods which neither now nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. Among these nations thou shalt find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest. But the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart and a failing of eyes and sorrow of mind. Thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night, and shalt have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would God it were even, and at even thou shalt say, Would God that were morning. For the fear of thine heart wherewith thou shalt fear, and for the sight of thine eyes which thou shalt see. Now that's Deuteronomy 28, verses 46, or 64 to 67. Well, Israel went into exile after the Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem around 600 BC. Now they returned under Ezra and Nehemiah, but lived under the dominion of the Medo-Persians, followed by the Greeks and finally the Roman Empire. It was during the Roman domination that the Lord Jesus Christ, referring to Daniel's prophecy, again predicted their scattering. When he said in Luke chapter 21, verses 6, 20, and 24, As for these things which ye see... Behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And in verse 20, when you see Jerusalem come past with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. And again, verse 24, they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down with the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, it was in AD 70 that the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and sent the Jews into exile once again, where they have remained until the last century. It was in 1899 that Mark Twain wrote of their plight and of the complete lack of empathy amongst Christians for the Jews. He says, Tell me, therefore, from what vantage point of cold view, what in your minds is to cause? Can the American Jews do anything to correct it, either in America or abroad? Will it ever come to an end? Will the Jew be permitted to live honestly, decently, and peaceably like the rest of mankind? What has become of the golden rule? End quote. Well, the fact that the Jews have remained a distinct identity and survived as a nation is remarkable. Mark Twain continued in his essay, remarking on their ability to survive. He wrote, the Egyptian, the Babylonian, 
the Persian, rose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, and faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman followed and made a vast noise, and they are gone. Other peoples have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out, and they sit in twilight now or have vanished. The Jews saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? End quote. Well, Israel's survival as a nation is not a chance situation. It is divinely orchestrated fact. God has preserved Israel because of his promises to Abraham and as a witness to the world of his existence. God challenges the nations in Isaiah 43, saying, Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say, It is truth. And then the God of Israel states, You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved and have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who will let it? And that's Isaiah 43, verses 8 to 13. Well, Twain mentions the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, all of which are composite pieces of the image of, of men. It is identified by Daniel the prophet, existing from Nebuchadnezzar through the Romans. In fact, in Daniel chapter 2, he writes in verse 31, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image, his head was as fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, and his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands that smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Now he goes on to give the interpretation. In verses 38 to 42, he says, You are this head of gold to the king of Babylon. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, which was the Medes and the Persians, and a third kingdom of brass, which would have been the Greeks, which shall bear rule over all the earth, and a fourth kingdom, which would be as strong as iron, which would be the Romans, forasmuch as the iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these things, it shall break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it the strength of iron, forasmuch as thou sawest the iron was mixed with miry clay. And as the feet, toes and the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Now, this is the kingdom of men that God would multiply through phases, but ultimately 
would come to an end when God determined to reestablish his kingdom again, which we read of in verse 44. In the days of these kings, that's the toe kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Well, we live in that time period of the very momentous event, and the rebirth of the nation of Israel is the event that heralds this new era. God had told the last king of Israel that the kingdom would be darkened until the time of Messiah. And we read this in Ezekiel chapter 21, verse 25. He told him, Thou profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day is come, when iniquity shall have an end, thus saith the Lord God, Remove the diadem, take off the crown, this shall not be the same. Exalt him that is low, abase him that is high. I will overturn, overturn, overturn it, and it shall, not, it shall be no more until he comes whose right it is, and I will give it him. Well, David had been promised a son that would sit on a throne in Jerusalem. In First of Chronicles 7, verse 9, we read, I will ordain a place for my people of Israel, and will plant them, and they shall dwell in their place, and shall be moved no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness waste them any more, as at the beginning. And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. Moreover, I will subdue all your enemies, and furthermore I tell thee that the Lord will build thee in house, and it will come to pass that when days be expired, that thou must go and be with thy fathers, I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build an house, and I will establish his throne forever. Well, this is the son that the angel Gabriel pointed out to Mary was Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 1, verse 30, we read, The angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now that's Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 33. So Messiah would be given the throne once again. However, the restoration of Israel to their land was required for Messiah to appear, as Peter points out during his appeal to his fellow countrymen in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. He says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he will send Jesus Christ, which was before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the time of the restitution or the restoration of all things which God had spoken of by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So the prophets require the Jews to return to the land in order for Jesse's son to be established on the throne. As we read in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 11, there shall come... Out of Jesse, uh, sorry, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And he goes on today in saying verse 10 that in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, and to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again a second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the isles of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, 
and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed to the four corners of Judah from the first corners of the earth. Now it's during the rebuilding of Jerusalem that Messiah will arrive. Because we're told in Psalm 102 that in verse 13, Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her. Yea, the set time is come. For thy servants take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth thy glory. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he will appear in his glory. Now this has been an ongoing historical fulfillment. The Jews have been regathering to the land for the past 150 years. The state of Israel was proclaimed in 1848. Jerusalem returned to the Jews in 1967. And the Bible has been fulfilling in the news in Palestine, later called Israel, for the past half a century. Now, the restoration of Israel and the reinstating of her Messiah is not merely a political event. Remember the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 43, verse 13. Therefore, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall stop it? It is God that has been working to restore the Jewish nation. He has used its leaders to accomplish this event. To begin with, they were largely secular Jews, some of them even atheists. But God used them to establish the state, just like he said in Daniel 4, verse 17 of the nations. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and demand by the word of the holy ones that the intent that the living may know that it's the most high that rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever he will and sets up over it the basest of men. Well, the initial declaration of independence was issued by a secular government. However, over the years, a portion of the population has been shedding its socialist garments and has begun to return to the biblical tenets of the promises to Abraham and the law of Moses. Now, this is just like Malachi predicted in chapter 4, verse 4, verse four where he says, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with statutes and judgments. Now, when we look at this and we consider it, this has been what has kept the Jewish nation separate. They're not just an ethnic group, a race descended from Abraham, but they are a race that was separated by a law given to them in Sinai. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that we read, But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive every one of you this day. Behold, I taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded you, that you should do so in the land whither you go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people, for what nation is there so great? Who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great and hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? That's Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 4 to 8. So it is the law that has separated Israel from the Gentiles when they were scattered and it has preserved them. It is the promises to Abraham that have brought them back again to the land under the hand of providence. So what has irked the nations, drunken with the dregs of democracy, is that the Jews are both a religion 
and a race. There are many Western nations where Catholicism is the state religion. There are many Middle Eastern nations where Islam is the state religion. However, make Judaism a state religion, and the world goes, the whole world flies off the handle. Judaism is the religion of the Jews, the descendants of Abraham to whom God gave promises. To allow Israel to declare itself to be a Jewish state would give credence to the promise made to Abraham and legitimize the hope of Israel, the Jewish national hope, and their religious aspiration to be the kingdom of God once again. This is exactly what the Israel as a nation state of the Jewish people law does again. Its basic principle states in its first clause, part A, the land of Israel is the historical homeland of the Jewish people in which the state of Israel was established. B, the state of Israel is the national home of the Jewish people in which it fulfills its natural, cultural, religious, and historic right to self-determination. And C, the right, of the, the right to exercise national self-determination in the state of Israel is unique to the Jewish people. Well, the world goes crazy with this concept. A homeland for the Jewish people, a national homeland for the Jewish people with the right of self-determination? The Catholic and Muslim nations have kept the Jews under ghetto control for centuries, and now the idea of them being sovereign over a state with the right to self-determination, meaning nobody else can tell them what to do. The world has loved to tell the Jews what to do for the past 2,000 years, and it doesn't want to give that up. Now, it's interesting to note that the law says regarding the symbols of Israel. In part two, the symbols of the state, A, the name of the state is Israel. The state flag, or this is B, is white with two stripes near the edges and a blue star of David in the center. C, the state emblem is the seven-branch menorah, the candlestick or the lampstand, with olive leaves on both sides and the words Israel beneath it. D, the state anthem is Hatekva, which means the hope. And E, details regarding state symbols will be determined by the law. Now, it might seem pretty obvious that Israel should be called Israel. The nation could have been called a number of things, though, including Judea. But it was called Israel, the name that was given to the nation by God the name that incorporates the entire geographical area promised to Abraham and much of what David ruled. This was the name Jacob had his name changed to. We read in Genesis 32, verse 28, God said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men and hast prevailed. It also is the name that God gives to the nation after its return from the final diaspora. In Ezekiel 38, verse 16, we read of Russia, thou shalt come against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the, net, the land, and so on and so forth. So this is the combined area of Judea and Samaria, including in the area that God terms the mountains of Israel, Ezekiel 38, and verse 8. This is the area that the world thinks should belong to the Palestinians as their second state in the two-state solution. But God has other ideas, and the nation of Israel is moving to the beat of his drum on this issue. Now, it's also interesting to note, tenant number three is that Jerusalem is the complete and united 
or Jerusalem completed and united, is the capital of Israel. Well, if the Jews have a right to self-determination and Jerusalem is declared their capital, then the European Union and the Vatican have no say over the final status of Jerusalem. And this has sent the feathers up in the air, especially since God has already declared his purpose for it in Zechariah 1, verse 16, where we read, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Well, it's very interesting that since the state of Israel was proclaimed in 1948, the Vatican has opposed it. It has supported the PLO and other groups in opposition of Israel, and it has been crying for the international status for Jerusalem since Israel's birth, which it opposed, by the way. An international status in Vatican eyes means it would control Jerusalem itself. Now, this law effectively puts an end to the debate from a Jewish perspective. We know the Vatican will not accept this, and eventually will encourage nations to go down to Jerusalem to battle. Now, further to this, the nation-state law encourages the settlement of the land. Part 7 reads, The state views the development of Jewish settlements as a national value and will act to encourage and promote its settlement, the establishment and consolidation. Again, the world is perplexed by this. It wants the right to dictate Israel's settlement in the land. It views Judea and Samaria as being Palestinian lands and does, not, does its best to restrict Israel's possession of these geographical areas, even though Jordan ceded control of them, or much of it, following the loss of these lands in the Six-Day War in 1967. The area of Judea, or Judea and Samaria, is required by God to be in Jewish hands as the prophet Joel dictates in chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, in those days and in that time, when I bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. So the Jews returning to the land is really God's doing. This is what the nation of Israel is doing. It's simply fulfilling the living word of God. Now, the world hates this, but it hasn't so much as rejected the nation Israel as it rejects God's hand in their rebirth and in the reclamation of the land, according to the promises and prophecies that he has spoken. Now, the other tenet that is enshrined in the state law is language. Uh, Part 4 says that the nation's language is Hebrew. Now, this is a necessity to unite the nation, because God separated nations by language back in Genesis 11, verse 6, where the Elohim said, let us go down and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Now, the nation of Israel has come from all over the world, and God has indicated he would unify them by language so that they could worship God in Jerusalem. Now, this is looking to the future, but what Eliezer ben Yehuda did is begin this process. In Zephaniah 3, verse 9, we read, But then will I turn the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one consent. And he goes on to say in verse 13, The remnant of Israel shall do no iniquity, they shall not speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgment, hath cast out thine enemy, the king of Israel, even the Lord is in the midst of thee, and thou shalt not see any evil any more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, and to Zion, Let not thine hands be slack. 
Well, the fact that Hebrew has become the official language of the nation of Israel is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, furthering the purpose of God in preparing the nation for Messiah. So while we watch the nations rage and roar, we are excited to see the word of God accomplishing his purpose. We read in Isaiah 55, verse 10, that as the rain cometh down in the snow from heaven and returneth not hither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing where I sent it to. When we look at the nation of Israel today, we see past the politics and the personalities to the finger of God at work behind the scenes. While the world casts up mire and dirt, we see God gradually moving about his purpose. This is the Lord's doing and marvelous in our eyes as we read in Psalm 118 verse 23. For the Bible in the news, this has been Jonathan Bowen joining you. <laughs>